All right, guys, today we have two very special guests, two thriller superfans joining me to discuss episodes five and six. Welcome to the podcast, Mark and Daryl. Great to be here. Awesome to be here. Thank you for having us. Yeah, of course. You guys are some of our most engaged patrons. And for anyone who doesn't know, Mark and Daryl are part of a small cohort that help keep the podcast running. The only reason we can do three seasons and bring you content week after week is thanks to these guys helping out and giving back. So thank you for joining us, but thank you as well for being the reason this whole thing could happen. Absolutely. Yep, absolutely. All right, episodes five and six. Uh, before we jump into them specifically, I want to step back, take a bigger picture view. We got James Reese on the screen. Can you maybe start for us, uh, Mark, how you felt the first time you were able to click play and see James Reese come to life? I was beyond excited, and I planned on watching this series with my fiance. So I took the day off, but she had to work. I watched the first three episodes without her. I couldn't wait. Then I rewatched them again. Because they were that good. You know, very rarely do you get a book character really captured on the screen very well. And Chris Pratt knocked it out of the park. Absolutely. Absolutely. Daryl, how did you feel? Man, the same way. It's just, you know, you, you visualize this book after book. And then when you actually see them, you know, the ARs, you know, on their shoulders going through the cave with their nods. It, it's just so cool to watch that happen on the screen. You know, that dark cinema you know cinematic view it's just it's it's incredible great job yeah and, and you mentioned that opening scene what a way to start if people don't know the series i can't think of a better way to get them interested and say this is authentic this is gritty this is real life and it's modern by upgrading from afghanistan to syria and the chemical weapons storyline it's just no better way to hook people i agree well, it's a blast Fantastic series. All right. Well, episode five actually opens, giving us another little nugget. It was kind of a treasure for us readers, but it's also important for for new people to the series. Liz Riley, what did yep. you think about a flashback to Najaf Iraq and, and learning how Liz and Reese became the friends that they are? I loved it. I slapped my, you know, my fiance on the leg. I was like, this is the scene. This is the scene. It's such a small scene in the book. But I've always remembered it and I've gone through other books and I'm like, I think this reminds me of this reminds me of this. I always remember James Reese carrying her out, saving yes. her when he was told, no, you're not going in. We can't risk it. And, you know, seeing it on the screen. And I kept saying before, you know, a year ago, I was like, I really hope I see this scene. If they capture this right, it'd be one of the best scenes. And to open episode five, loved it. Loved every bit of it. I would agree. I, you know, it, it's it does look a lot like American assassin, you know, the street scene mm. is very, very similar, but, uh, you know, just to, to, to get introduced to Liz that way was, was incredible. Uh, also after I actually went back and looked at it the second time and it, and I realized that it has Donnie in the back of the vehicle. Did you yes. catch that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's got a little issue too. Uh, some bowel yeah. movement, <laughs> but it's, it's pretty funny and I, I don't know what, you know, what they're thinking of how to do that, but obviously we're seeing that scene from his, from Reese's eyes. Right. I mean, because Donnie wasn't in the car, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. It was pretty cool that Donnie was one there. So you get to see them operate again, 
but it brings some lightheartedness to it. You know, I've heard from a lot of people in the world of operations or law enforcement, you really got to have a sense of humor and dark humor. And right. Brad Thor just told us that he's like, dark humor is the mark or a sign of intelligence. And, you know, there's no way these guys can get through some of this stuff. So whether it's Donnie saying he's going to shit his pants yep. <laughs> and Reese told him not to eat the kebab or even Liz Riley, right? She's da- almost down and out yet. They're joking around about Roll Tide in Alabama yep. building this rapport. I love seeing that in the heat of battle because Jack knows that's probably the stuff that goes on, the shenanigans. Man, those guys are so cool. You know, you see it book after book, movie after movie. I'm sure all operators, but especially SEALs, those guys are so comfortable in the environment because of their intense training. It is just incredible to see that. And I I think that's kind of how they have to approach it. I mean, you can't let your heart rate go crazy. And they do such an incredible job to, to train so hard to be able to do that with and, and be able to carry on conversations and, you know, chuckle. And, and you know, it's it's just incredible. It's, it's fun to watch. Plus, it's cool to see, you know, in the, in the civilian world, you got to go to the bathroom. You could just go when you're in a you're on a mission. You can't just stop the mission to Go to the restroom. You got to just, yeah. you know, clench the cheeks, as I think is what we said. Clench yep. them. You know, <laughs> you, we're, we're on a mission right now. You know, it's, it was fun to see because I guarantee that's probably happened at some point on some mission. Probably plenty of times. Sure. And I bet the worst part of it is not soiling yourself, but having the guys rip you for years about having done it. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, but you, you remember the scene later in this episode where she makes a comment and he, he said something about Donnie being on that mission to save her. And she said Donnie was in grade school. Yeah. So yeah. and I didn't catch it the first time. And when I watched it a second time, I realized he was in the back. But it must have been Reese's, you know, just mental fog that yep. had Donnie on that mission when he couldn't have been on the mission. And I thought that was a really cool twist. Like I said, I missed it the first time. Plus, you get the name drop of uh, Rafe Hastings the first yes. time. That's right. Yes, so really, Rafe that was, was Rafe. on the mission. So it was Donnie. Rafe in there instead of Donnie, and and we they show Donnie because that's what's in his mind. Yeah, I thought we'd get Rafe at the very end, which I was not hoping say much more. But his name comes up again. But to yep. have it this early on, I was so jazzed when that happened. Yeah, yeah, and it, the the part of Reese's memory. It's almost been a few episodes because I feel like three and four, we trusted Reese as the reliable narrator, and it seems some of his uh, memory confusion issues were a little put on the back burner. So I think little nuggets like that, Daryl, are really brilliant screenwriting to remind us Reese still has trauma, still dealing with the memory confusion. The tumor is real, and he's not 100% back yet, even though for episodes three and four... We were rolling with him. He and Katie were kind of jiving and getting along, and we moved away from some of the psychological aspects of the show. Right. Did we ever get a timeline of events, like how long it's been between episodes, like it's been two days, or is it just kind of like, oh, it's a new day, so it's been at least one day, two days? Do we have? Do we ever know an official timeline? It's a good question. Because you got to think, the mission happened, it's been at least two days, because Boozer flew home two days before Reese. Yeah. Then, you know... All of that. So you got to think it's probably been at least maybe a little bit more than a week. Concussion, if he's definitely had a concussion, is going to last a while. Yeah. Well, you remember, it, it, not not to go too far forward, but in the in the 
beginning of the fifth of the sixth episode, he's meeting with uh, hurt with Lauren's parents. Yeah. And it says two weeks earlier. That's right. Apparently this whole, you know, from the, from the time he visits with them until, you know, he's really on the run or it's hitting the news. It's about two weeks. So I think that that's about the timeline. It must be around two, two and a half weeks. I'm guessing. Okay. That's a good point. Very good point. Yeah. And so after this opening scene, things really shift in the episode. And with a shot of the list, Steve uh-huh. Horn's name is front and center on that list. So yeah. what do you guys think about the way Steve Horn is brought in here? We already met him the last episode or two, but this one is really going to focus on him. And we know he is going to be the victim of Reese's revenge. Mm-hmm. I don't remember too much of the physical description of Horn from the book, but I've been doing some research. I remember he just wanted to not be president, but to control the president, yes. to be all powerful. So, and I remember, I thought Jai Courtney really captured that yeah. um, in terms of just the way he spoke to everybody and the way he didn't spoke, the way he just looked at them. Yeah. And we get uh, another subtle detail where Mac, because Tony of the FBI and Mac of yep. U.S. Marshals, Come to talk to him about Gordo. And we all we all loved Gordo in, in episode three. Gordo, Gordo, Adrian Jack Gordo, and they want to investigate because that was one of his men, a tallow security contractor. Well, I he had that line earlier. I think to Mike Tedesco or somebody like have some respect. You know, he was a SEAL or or yeah. Saul Agnon's like, should we be afraid of James Reese? And he says a comment, and so I'm like. Am I supposed to believe Horn is respectful of our our operators and our military? Well, he has a lot of respect, but it's almost misplaced respect. What do you think about Mac calling him out on the uh, the tattoo? I mean, she's spot on. There, there's no doubt. Um, I don't know. I thought it was kind of a, a cool uh, twist the way that the way that played out. You know, Horn. You know, he it shows him in that one practice scene where they're you know clearing a house with his guys, and so he he obviously is, you know, he's a pretty tough guy. And I didn't really get that in the book, but he seems to be you know fit, uh, you know, with the tats and the you know the bone frog tattoo, you know, pretty impressive. Obviously, a brilliant guy. So I thought he played the part well. I mean, and then I I thought she was pretty bold the way she spoke to him. It was it was pretty impressive. He has another line that kind of makes you think, what a dick. He's like, I have respect for my friends and family who served, but my SAT scores put me on another path. It's like, bro, like, I, I, is all this fake? It seems like a front. It seems like he has respect, but is it real? Is it genuine? I, I love that writing. I thought the, the screenwriting was brilliant to evoke that. I think people of that, that's that smart, I think that's how they are. I, I just, right. I mean, I think that is a very good way to show kind of the the eccentric nature of a of a of somebody that has you know that much intelligence that's a good point i also think it shows a hand at the end of the episode during the attack when his security man brought him out of the vehicle he's like come on wannabes time to nut up yes you know it showed him like oh you could talk all this game in training when you do the boss when it comes down to the actual doing the work you're scared. Yeah. Fraud. He's a fraud. Yep. He's a fraud. a fraud. Perfect for business then. <laughs> Working yeah. on Wall Street and all these big companies. All right. Well, 
Steve Horn, I think, is established very strongly. And again, just a few minutes of screen time, we're learning so much about his character. Yet things are divergent from the story here. I don't know if you felt Mm -hmm. this way, but about 10 minutes into episode five, I just said, I I think this is where it splits. Because I had seen a lot of fans, a lot of posting. Oh, I'm so disappointed how different it is from the book. Yet, as you guys might have heard, hours of this podcast so far, and not one time can I criticize them for deciding to move away from the book. Not at all. Episode 5, I'm starting to ask a few more questions. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the way Mike Tedesco is not wanting to sell the company, but Horn's trying to get him the best deal with this foreign investor, Ryberg? And then Tedesco has reservations, so he downloads some financial data on a flash drive to pass to Katie in a train station. Did you guys like that kind of sequence? I got lost during a lot of that. It's just like, who's buying whose company? Why are we selling the company? And Mike Tedesco, I felt like it was just a back burner. Like, did he even, did he ever even make the list in the show? I don't think he ever did. That's a good point. No, because I don't think he's, he ever, he's he killed was trying in the train to, station. Yeah. I don't think James ever even figured out you know, that he was kind of part of it. But I don't, I don't think, think he so. knew. I think they yeah. set it up that he never even knew. Because when Katie confronted him in the, uh, it was the train station. He was like, "What does this have to do about Navy SEALs?" He said everything. Mm. Yeah, because I, so. I, I was, in fact, that's one of the reasons I wanted to go back and watch it because in my mind he knew, but after rewatching it, I don't think he knew that it was tested on the SEALs. Yeah, I, don't I think just, so. I think that uh, they just completely did a shift on Tedesco, and of course. A lot of the 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 ways that Reese killed these guys was the same, but it was on different people, right? Right. I mean, you don't you don't have, you know, JD Hartley, you know, is one that took the EFP uh, in the book, and it goes to the horn in the mo- in the in the show. And I guess I'm not sure why. I, it seems like it is not cohesive when you look at. You know, him saying to Liz, I want, I really would like to take him alive. I've got questions for him. But then you build an EFP for him. I believe he got the next three names on the list. That's why he was upset Mm -hmm. because he got the call from Ben saying it was um, the Admiral Commander Cox and um, Captain Howard. So that's why he was like, I don't need Horn anymore. He wanted Horn to get the next three, next name on the list. Once he got that, he's like, fine. I'm going to kill Horn. I could kill Horn now. Oh, good point. That's a good point. Yeah. I did not, I That's a good point. I think that clears up. Uh, Daryl, I have the same kind of confusions. That does clear it up because I forgot how important that was that yeah. the flash drive Mike Tedesco gives them shows shell companies and Ben's able to track all those shell companies to different uh, investors and who they were mm-hmm. or not investors, but people who would profit from this sale. And there's one that's unidentified. So we will yeah. say that's a little cliffhanger. That's it's going to matter. We'll leave it at that for now. But he's got the names and it's his people. He feels betrayed. Is this when we get the cutback to Buds with Commander Cox? No, that one's, I believe, episode seven. And okay. I do have a question on that. Was Commander Cox ever even on the list in the book? I don't think so. Because I took a photo of the list at the end and I was like, all right, this is the list before I started the series. You know, I want to make sure I got everybody on the list. Commander right. Cox was not on that. So I think they added that. That was something different. Yeah, That's it was. Great. And I kind of like that because it allows for something that happens in episode 
I think seven that I really, really like. Yep. So I think it was a smart choice and we'll just leave it at that. The Bud's decision I thought was really smart. Yep. And and then again in the book, if Commander Cox was implicated, another event that happens in the Admiral's office, Commander Cox would have been brought into that and he wasn't. So yeah, mm-hmm. again, a bit of a difference between the book and yep. the and the show. So another thing that happens during the scene, and Rosie, my wife, I, I've been watching with her, and like I said on another one, to get her to say, I want to keep watching and let's binge this. Something mm-hmm. uh, something of my thriller universe that I can get her to not only give a shot to, but to stick with to the very end and want more of. And yes, she wants a season two. That by itself blows my mind and proves Amazon and Jack Carr did something very special here. But anyway, she was totally lost of why did they go in the train station? Why did they split because Steve Horn's car goes one way, the other car goes somewhere else? And we were trying to figure out why did Reese track the guy into the train station? Was it just coincidental that he was there to save Katie because we needed him to save Katie? He did say um, to Liz, hey, out of all the times we tracked these men, have they ever broken off? Oh, this is the true. first time they did. So here's like, that's weird. Let's find out why. Oh. So let's go with, you know, and as somebody, you know, who's watched a lot of movies, read a lot of books, you, you build that target package that, that, that you know, this is the, the life they live. When something deviates, you want to figure out why. So that's the way, that's how I figured that out. So it makes total sense to me. That line, yeah, that line puts it together. And plus, he's going to know where Steve Horn is. Mm-hmm. Later on, like the next day, he's going to his office where you might never know why this car split off. You're going to find Horn again, but you're never going to know what these guys did if you don't follow him. That's a that's a great point. OK, we're just patching up plot holes here. Things yep. that I thought was going to be my first time criticizing the series was really just my shortcomings and really shows that you need to watch the show two or three times, maybe even more to fully see everything plot wise. And to see all the Easter eggs, because I'm sure there's a million of those that I missed. Now, at the end of episode five, how did you guys feel about the confrontation between Katie and Reese? Mm. I was like, oh, man, this is super, super different from the book. I mean, from the beginning, it's already different due to the fact that they don't know each other. But when he points the gun at her saying, if I see you again on the battlefield, I'm not saving you. That was rough. It was. I, I kind of missed that relationship that was in the book. I really would like for them to be more, more close and more, uh, you know, more together. And you know, that's the second time he's put a gun in her face, and it just yeah. it seemed like it's it seemed a little bit different. But you know, I mean, I think that they have the ability to make those decisions, and you know, it plays well. The episode is called Disruption, so. That really shocked me. And and we got to go back to the bomb thing because how he gets a gun in Katie's face the second time around is that she was about to interrupt the bomb he had set for Horn because mm-hmm. she was standing on the sidewalk when he told her to get out of town. Uh, so maybe with the title disruption, that was what they were going for, a disruption in their relationship, a disruption in the New Bellum sale and the deal, a disruption – in the list, you know, who Mike Tedesco, Cox, and finding out about the Admiral, that disrupts all of his plans. He thought Steve Horn might be the be-all, end-all. So I guess maybe it's just another thing to go with that theme. But well, he, also, I, I don't know why he flipped the switch on Katie so quickly this episode. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I don't know. But, you know, it was also disrupting because I think he was planning to kill Steve, Steve Horn. Right. But he had to wait because Katie was standing there. And yep. he ended up having to wait so long. And I think it just kind of caught the, you know, maybe the back quarter of the, of the vehicle. So it didn't kill him right off the bat. And again, that may be because Katie was standing there and he was trying not to have collateral damage, especially Katie. Right. Speaking of collateral damage, do you think it might have been easier once he found out he could just kill him to take a sniper shot and make it an EFP? Because Liz was against it because she didn't want to kill civilians the whole time. You think they might have thought of something differently instead of that? Well, then ultimately ends up grabbing his AR and having to go through there and kill you know, shoot guys. Him. He had to shoot him out anyways. Uh, yeah, it, that whole scene to me, it just wasn't exactly right to me. I, and of course, again, you're you're conflicting with the book, but to me, it just dis- didn't make sense to go through all of that in the, in downtown San Francisco with all of the risk. I mean, what happened to the, the FBI guys that were only you know four cars back, right? And the whole time he's up there shooting, they don't ever approach. I mean, yeah, they were weaving in and out of people, but I felt like you know they weren't that far down. No. Liz was a distraction in the van, but that's not a big distraction. It didn't take you very far. Right. Yeah. Plus, that led into six, which led into the chase. I felt like you, you take him out by a sniper. You're far away. They got to figure out where that sniper shot came from. You don't lead into a chase scene. You're done. Yeah. Wow, how cool that scene was to see, which was very cool. I loved it. It could have been, you know, realistically, I felt like there was a smarter play. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you guys. I, and I, I don't want this to sound like I'm being cranky because it's not one to one with the book. I think the show established itself very genuine and kind to the fans and giving them tons of fan service. But plot wise, this whole sequence was forced. I'm going to agree, Daryl. I don't know if it was just we want a big urban set piece that has whiz bang and explosions an active shooter on the streets of San Francisco because it's, quote, relevant or, you know, something that will scare us and, you know, we'll be psychologically invested in. It just seemed whatever they wanted that scene for, or maybe it was just to set up the chase because they were so committed to having this chase scene, which I guess we'll transition to next. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it was the first time, whether it was the screenwriting, the production, the directing, everything just didn't click and it felt... Someone had a need to put that in, even if the story didn't call for it. And probably my my first criticism of, of the series, not a big one, and it's not just because they didn't follow the books, but something just didn't add up with that. I mean, it, w- it was exciting. It was a good scene, sure. but right. it didn't seem quite appropriate. But they may could have put in just another sentence or two from Reese that showed his his mental capacity was off just a, a tick and he made that decision out of out of emotion and not out of a seal a trained operator because i'm i'm like you know mark's exactly right a, a trained operator would look at his risks and the risk of collateral damage and say you know i don't need him anymore let's take a shot and be done it, it'd have been a no-brainer so but it was still exciting yeah that's a great point another thing that felt off is when Liz buys all the supplies for the bomb making, which was awesome and, and exactly like the book again, yeah, I was like, wait, the bomb wasn't for Steve Horn. If we're going to kill him off here, do we not get to see the something else that involves the bomb supplies? And so anyway, just as a reader, again, I'm not going to say too much. It was like this 
cognitive dissonance of like, wait, if we're doing that now and we're doing it in this way, I'm kind of disappointed something else won't come to fruition. So it was my first time questioning, is the rest of the show going to completely deviate? One through four was the book. Is all of five through eight going to be its own story? Which which was cool because it got me invested in what's going to happen. As a reader, I still was bought into the story because I had a new plot to follow. So I love that part of it. But it got a little strange. I said the exact same thing to my fiance. Once I saw the bomb, I was like, oh, man, that means we're probably not going to get the other thing. Yep. But we'll, we'll see. Well, yeah. Yeah. It was earlier in the earlier episodes when, you know, you had the Mexico cartel guys. Yeah. You know, that when he killed that that one dude he was looking for, the method that he used was a book method, but it was for a different person, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So so they were already starting to have that, you know, let's let's use the method, but we're gonna have to use it in a different part of the plot. Yeah. So you can kind of see all that happening, but you know, it, it still was good. I mean, I again I have I can be a little critical, but man, it's exciting. It's the book. I mean, the, the show is good. It is. It's really good. It's top notch. Right. Absolutely. And that switcheroo of the two types of kills using the same types of kills, but on a different person, I think was really smart. Totally to worked. The intestine method on Lauren and Lucy's actual killer, because that was the most brutal, gruesome method possible. So I feel like that was justice for the guy who got it. And later on, uh, too bad we can't get there yet, but the way the other bomb is used and the character it's used on, I thought made complete sense. So really great choice to do that there. Episode six, though, we're going from disruption to transience. That's the name of episode six. Mark, tell me, what do you think about this becoming an FBI manhunt story with James Reese on the run? Did you like that move? I thought it lasted way too long. A little too long, yeah. I thought I thought having the whole episode with that, especially in the, like I felt like maybe half the episode would have been cool because I could see what it's setting up from the book when the SEAL teams and Freddy was uh, approaching the the cabin. So I'm like, okay, they're doing something similar to there. Mm-hmm. But having it the whole scene, especially with ISR and everything the FBI had, I really felt like, yeah, James is done. James should have been caught. Yeah. And then Ben said the scene about, oh, it's about the rain. That's a frogman's luck. And then he doesn't even travel in the rain. He travels during the day. And I'm like, so he didn't even use the rain. Yeah. I don't know. That, it, it felt too long. It felt too, I want James in the forest. I, I completely agree with you. I yeah. mean, it's his element. And there's really no way they should catch him. I mean, other than the fact that he was wounded. But, I mean... You put that guy in his elements, it, it kind of almost reminds me of First Blood. You know, if you ever remember the old movie First Blood with Stallone, I mean, you put a guy in his element, it's, you know, you, you, the, the, no, there's not enough guys to do it, you know, HRT guys to hunt you down. I mean, a seal in the woods is, is, is a dangerous thing. Yeah. Now, I did love this scene when he took out the HRT um, with the flashbang, stole the guy's pack. You know, use the batteries to disrupt the ISR. That was cool. There were some cool moments. I really thought there were some cool moments, but in the end, just a little bit too long for me. Yeah, I think the cool moments made me not completely like roll my eyes, but there were just too many opportunities to be like, really, that's going to happen. Oh, and then the the explosion. So his final getaway is in the river. Yep. 
which I don't understand how helpful that river is because they clearly show it with a lot of rocks and everything. So it's not like a gushing river. You're just going to float away kind of peacefully. Like it's going to be slow going and you're already injured. So somebody's going to catch up to you. And and there were no choppers. I know the storm for yeah. a little while was the reason. But there were even times when there was no storm, there would be a chopper literally looking at you, like literally just hovering there watching you. You know, I'm like, I, there was just so too many, you know, think about our buy-in score on the podcast, just too many times yeah. where I was taken out of the picture thinking, there's no way that could be real. Where all the episodes that were what Jack wrote in the book, every time I was like, yeah, that 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 could happen. That's how it would play out. This was one of the first times I was like, I don't think that's how it would actually play out. Yeah. We did get a um, couple of things from the book in there, though. We got Smitty. True. Where Smitty, you know, he's like, I served with James Reese. If he's doing this, there's a good reason. They took him off exactly how the book happened. And then there was actually a direct quote um, when he was um, lined up on the FBI agent. I can't remember his name, but the J.D. Prado is the actor. Yeah, Leon, Tony Leon. Yep, Tony Leon. It was position with a rifle requires precision with dot. Yes. And that's a direct quote on page 191 of the hardcover of the terminal list because I just pulled it up. I was like, that line sounds so familiar. So, and it's not the first time I think. I think they used other quotes from the book, exact lines. And speaking of quotes, I, I pulled out a quote, which I think is my favorite. And this is when, when Tony asked him, he said, what would your dad say about what you did in San Francisco? And he said, uh, he, he would say it would be a mistake to push a man to violence if violence is what he has dedicated his life to perfecting. Yes. That was awesome. Absolutely. I guarantee Jack Hart probably wrote that line because that was an amazing line. I wrote that down. I was like, man, that's such a good line. Yeah, that is very good writing. Yeah, I, I think J.D. Pardo is really good in this in the whole series, but this is his episode to come alive. The way he convinces the HRT guys to let him out in the field, the way he wants this case to be his, he wants to put his stamp on it. Then when he realizes Reese could have taken the shot, but didn't and spared his life, you see something click that's going to carry into episode eight where JD Pardo is going from this straight up. I'm just going to be law enforcement. My version is the version that needs to happen to questioning, much like the audience questioned, can we trust Reese? I feel like this is where JD and even Mac to some degree, although maybe, and she is saved. Uh, yeah. Reese saves her. So I think JD's, well, I guess Tony, his character is, is starting to piece together. Maybe guys like Smitty who are wondering, Reese wouldn't just do this for no reason. What's going on here? There's something deeper. I thought the little nuggets pushed that that theme along. Plus, there's that moment when he saved Mac, which right. you mentioned, said he had that moment where he looked at her and he looked at the river and he was like, there's my getaway. I, yep. But he'd made the choice of who he really is. And he's going to save her before he makes that getaway. But isn't it often the dilemma of the, the police officer, the, you know, the FBI guy where he, he thinks the, the person he's after may be a good guy, but he's just enforcing the law. I mean, that dichotomy is. It's common, you know, the fugitive, you know, that was the same kind of thing. You know, I don't, I don't care. You know, I didn't kill my wife. Well, I don't, I don't care. You know, it's, it's not my job to determine. And I think that's what Tony finally comes to the problem of, you know, this guy may be a good guy. It, it, it may be that I'm, I'm hunting him, hunting him, but 
you know, maybe I shouldn't be, even though that's my job. That's it's typical. Yeah. Do you guys think it was a little bit too Hollywood when he was scaling down the cliff and he fell and he hit that rock? Like he hit that rock on the side. I'm like, there's no way he's walking from that. I was, uh, I was very disappointed with the cinematography and the decisions for that scene because you could have watched him slip and believed that he got up or his, you know, his seal adrenaline kicked in and he's going to complete the mission. Uh-huh. But they chose to film it. it. It was a deliberate choice to film his fall as if he completely broke his back. So yep. when they made a choice to put the camera angle and have that body fall in such a way that you you are being told as the viewer, he's completely done. His spine is snapped. Don't choose to film it that way if you're going to turn around and have him on the move the next day. It didn't sit right with me. Nope. It was a miss. For sure. It was a miss. Yep. I mean, is it coincidental that... The two episodes where almost every reader of the book will say there was a clear, clear departure from the storyline were, in my opinion, my least two favorite episodes, or at least the least two believable episodes. Coincidence? Mm, no. Yeah. No, I, I still think episode one is the best episode throughout the entire series. Episode really? one was fantastic. Oh, yeah. I thought episode one set it up really well because you got everything. From the attack to the ending, and but through two through four, really stuck with the book. Minor changes, but nothing too drastic. And then five and six is just like, here we go. This is where I'm putting my spin on it. Even I'd say seven and eight has a, its own spin as well. It's true. I do remember going into seven though, saying after five and six, I I need seven to come up big. I'm really hoping, not just because I want to see the book, but to at least put pieces together that are more believable and make these last two episodes and these tangents we just went on relate back a little bit. And I think that does happen. So I'm actually going to say a little preview for our listeners to tune back in to our next episode. I'm going to say seven's my favorite. Seven. Okay. It's a little out of the blue. I understand that. But it's not my favorite as a reader. As a reader, it's definitely one. I By far, it's one. But as TV that tells a compelling story, that moves that story forward and gets us ready for a finale, I think Seven's doing the most. Hmm. Daryl, what do you, what say you? Man, I, I just, I don't, I really didn't think about it that way. So I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to hold off. Maybe I'll email you what I, what my, my thoughts are. I don't disagree with either one of you. Um, but I, I really am enjoying it. I mean, I can critique this and that, but at the end of the day, eight good episodes. It's fun. It's a little different than the book, but man, hats off. They did a, they did a great job of putting it together and making it fun. And, and like you said, I watched this with my wife as well. And I did have to explain a few terms to her, but you know, all in all, she, she enjoyed it as well, I believe. So I don't know. Hats off. No, nope, it was an easy show to watch. You don't have to be in the military. You don't have to be in that realm to understand what's going on. You know, if you do, it makes perfect sense. Ever like, you know, it's great. I love the show. I want a season two. I don't know which book they do for season two. Mm-hmm. I, I like, especially with the events of today compared to the events of True Believer. I feel like they wouldn't do that storyline. Mm-hmm. You know, 
So I would love a season two, though. I think if you have eight episodes again, and usually sometimes when shows are renewed, you might get a little more. If you get 10 episodes, I do think a True Believer Savage Son mashup could really, really work. You know, it's like the Hastings storyline or the Mm -hmm. Hastings family arc from the beginning of True Believer to the events of Savage Son. I I don't know. I I, I don't want to shortchange us a season, right? Season two, True Believer, season three, Savage Son, and so on would be ideal. But if we need to be realistic about things, I I do think an eight to ten hour movie could tell the True Believer to Savage Son arc really, really well. But the fact that Jack Carr and Chris Pratt are friends, I'm hopeful. It's not like they just got some dude on the street. You know, they they know each other. He always tells a story of uh, um, the guy, Jared Shaw, who played Boozer, how he gave the Terminalist to Chris Pratt. You know, just I feel like out of everything to get a season two with a big A-list actor, this is the one. Yep. And if you've been listening to Jack launched the Terminalist podcast, so we are the Terminalist fan podcast (laughs) coming at you from a, a fan's perspective, almost like a book club style discussion. Jack has the behind the scenes where you actually talk to David DeGilio, the showrunner, Jared Shaw, executive producer and former SEAL, Jack Carr himself, and the three of them talk about behind the scenes. And you're right. Something special is happening on this set that I'm sure every single person to the guy who holds the boom mic to someone who's running wires or lighting, every single person on that set feels this is different than anything I've ever done before. And because of that, everyone's going to want back in. I I think this thing is going to get greenlit within the week. I honestly think we're going to know in a week or two how many more seasons this is going to get approved for. I think it's going to start happening fast. And and here's another reason. I want to give an update on a segment we've been doing so far called The Critics Can Go Scratch. And that's where we, we bring up the Rotten Tomato score here and prove there is a narrative and some of the earliest reviews of the Terminalist, the ones that were printed days before the show was dropped, I hope every single one of them is realizing what a mistake it was because they showed their biases. They have come clean and showed they had a narrative going into the release of this show. And the critic score remains 37%. And the audience score keeps climbing up to a 93%. There's your proof. We don't need to please the critics. We need to please the people. And I think Jack and crew knew exactly what that meant. And thank you, Amazon, for making it happen. Absolutely. Yes, thank you, Amazon. But I don't, I, I don't know what percentage the avid book reader of, of the terminal list will be a factor or if it's just people watching it because it's – you know, it's a current show. I think people are going to enjoy it. I liked how they had it. You know, it said read the book on every episode that you could buy the book through your Amazon from your TV. Mm. So people who might not realize it's from a book, it's right there every single episode. And the fact that it's number one, number one off of everybody's charts for the 4th of July weekend. Right. You know, they they timed it perfectly to drop this, even with the drop of the new Stranger Things. And the new Umbrella Academy, all these other shows they competed with, they beat it. They beat them both. I saw that number one for the weekend. Yep. That's big. And that's big. They timed it perfect. Patriotic holiday. You know, you, it's perfect. Next July 4th, I hope I know what I'm doing. 
I'll pencil it in. True believer on Amazon Prime. <laughs> well, it took probably, I want to expect probably another four years. Usually yeah, with yeah, production, you know, if you got to bring it all together. I would expect right. probably another four years, which, you know, who knows? They might even do a different Jack Carr book. You know, he's probably going to be at book eight at that time. I can. I was going to say, nine. you got to believe he's writing a book this whole time. Yeah. And podcasting with Danger Close. Because, you know, there's some books you could just, you know, you don't have to go in order. I would rather you tell the better story in the show than go in order and have a lesser product like you know i think with the whole mitch rap thing you know they were they were going to do consent to kill before right. they're like let's just do american assassin because consent to kill is not the same as you know well let, let's not try to compare american yeah. assassin to this no, series no, 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 no. in the slightest i'm just i'm just messing i, I would well, imagine the rotten tomato score for that one i don't even want to look well this series proved it works this jack yes. reacher jack yep. ryan yep we should get a Mitch Rapp. We should get a Scott Harvath. Any of these thriller verses, we should be able to see. Yep. Don't Hollywood the shit out of it. We don't need that. And it's been proven. Nope. We can't cave. You can't cave. And you have to respect the author's craft. There is a formula, I think, that Amazon has unlocked here. And you're right. It's going to change the game in the thriller verse. Brad Thor has a big announcement. He told us. For anyone who isn't subscribed to season two of No Limits, it's the Scott Harvath podcast. Brad gave us a little hint about some talks that are ongoing and big, big things. And as he said, big, big names are in the works for putting Scott Harvath on the big screen. So it's That's happening. good. I'm excited. We've got the gray man in about two weeks. Yes. About two weeks from now. If that succeeds, I think it's the biggest Netflix movie they ever put together. Yep. That put three thriller books, successful movies and shows this year. We had Jack Ryan from two years ago, which that's already been renewed for another two seasons. You know, yep. I, I want it. I want them all. Just don't, do a, just don't do a two hour movie. This eight hour movie is good. Yeah, I, I like this. Uh, they said they filmed this one as an eight-hour movie and then broke it up into these eight episodes. And I think that format was is really, really good. Good way to do it. Yeah, it worked. Well, guys, Daryl, Mark, what a blast. It was amazing talking to you about episodes five and six. We're going to be covering seven and eight very soon here on the podcast. And our next guest is also a friend of No Limits. A former guest on the podcast in our season one Mitch Rap series, Eric Bishop, the author of The Body Man. So we are bringing on another author to discuss Terminalist 7 and 8. I, I bet he'll have a lot of interesting things to say because The Body Man, the book, we can't recommend enough. Some James Reese style things happen in that one, too. Did you guys read that? I have not. Not yet. Not yet. It's good. It's good. I think you're going to like Eric next week on the pod. Well, thank you guys. What a blast it was. And thank you for being patrons. You are the reason this podcast can happen. You're the best. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Daryl. Thank you. Thank you. We enjoyed it. As always, we need to thank our patrons, our special operator, Sherry F., our special agents, Daryl, Kevin, George, Matt, Don, Dennis, Peggy, Catherine, Ray, Bridget, Jeff, and Mark. Please subscribe, rate, and review using your favorite podcasting platform. Find us at thrillerpod.com or at Thriller Podcast. And as always, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. <laughs> <laughs>